the Bible, God's good book. Genesis is the first book in God's book of books, and it cuts through the inflation of human nonsense every time. God identifies from the front to the back of the Bible as the God of Abraham. Why would God identify with such an ordinary guy? Because when we read the story, he's not a superhero by any means. But he is our hero, and he's an ordinary hero because we're ordinary people. In Genesis chapter 25, Abraham, well, he dead. Can't get any deader than dead. Abraham's dead. But there goes our hero. Abe might be dead, though, but the beat is going to go on. And we need to take a look at that. The whole point of, of God's story with Abraham for us, though, is that we would all be like Abraham, that we would all enjoy a good relationship with God like Abraham did. It's totally doable. If Abe can do it, we can do it. And we should do it like Abe, straight from the words of Jesus. Come on in. Let's check it out together. <laughs> mentioned the last time, um, we just want, and every time really, we just want people at the biblical channel to be able to read their Bibles better. Um, we just read the Bible, talk about it, and talk about what it should say um, uh, to everybody around us. It's not that hard, but we got to take the time to actually read it and to read it well. Oh, that people would read the Bible well. That's all we're trying to accomplish here at the Biblical Channel. So we're glad you're here. We're glad you showed up so that you might enjoy this conversation um, so that you can have maybe another conversation with somebody else, you know, spread the word, keep talking well of God and speaking well of God the way that God reveals himself in the Bible, which is totally cool if we read it the right way. So reading the Bible is a bit like wine tasting, you know, those uh, fancy people that, uh, you know, slosh it around, take a good look at it, take a smell of it, take a sip of it, and then they have so much to talk about. Well, that's the way the Bible passages work as well. You know, we swirl it around, we take a sip, we take a smell, and, well, then we should talk about it and see what it has to, to offer us. And sometimes the most boring of passages actually are the passages that throw out so much meaning to us. And I think that might be the way for this particular chapter, chapter 25. But before we go any further, let's just pray the way the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray, and that is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We just want to speak well of you because you're great. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts and, well, as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. That's the rub. Help us in every way, Lord. Um, amen. So let's try to take a look, take a smell, take a sip at this, uh, well, a very interesting chapter, not necessarily the kind of stuff we make a lot of memory verses out of, but let's take a look at it and have a good think about it, and let's glean um, what the life of Abraham really is for us as we memorialize him uh, and what God has done in his life. Well, anyhow, Genesis chapter 25. It is kind of short, that's good, and it's good because, well, it's a, it's a whole list of names, um, and it's, uh, you know, the death of Abraham is surrounded by a whole list of names, and there's a point to it, and we'll talk about that point in just a moment. So let's just give it a read. 
Um, I'll try to read through the names as quickly as possible, and if I get them wrong, who cares? Because, well, these people are dead. Um, and we'll talk about the meaning of their, their names to the people who heard this for the very first time. Well, no better time than the present. Let's get going. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan, the sons of Dedan and Asherim, Letushim, and Leumin. The sons of Midian were Ephop, Epher, Hanak, Abadah, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried, to him in the ca uh, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahrai, Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, uh, Nebioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdil, uh, Mid-Sam, Mishima, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jator, Napish, and, well, Kadima. Uh, these are the sons of Ishmael and their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is uh, opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over and against all his kinsmen. Bam, end of passage, end of chapter 25. Praise be to God for his word. Well, when it comes to reading the Bible well, there are two things that anchor the biblical message with, uh, to, to keep us from getting too far you know, away and drifting away in our minds and imaginations or perhaps in our boredom. It just helps control the passage to know that there is a literary form that is being written, uh, that it's being written in. And there's also a history behind the text that, well, would have been a lot more meaningful to them than it is to us. It can be meaningful to us, but it was definitely more meaningful to them because they were actually living in a section of history where a lot of these things made a lot more intuitive sense. We live in the United States of America, at least most of us do, and uh, none of this seems to make geographical sense or historical sense because, well, this is far and, far and away from us, but it can have some meaning to us. So this passage is structured literarily in a chiasm, which means there is material in the front and material at the, at the back. And then in the middle is the sweet stuff. But the middle sweet stuff is really quite simple stuff. The middle sweet stuff is that Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. So what's around Abraham's death 
is the other descendants that he did end up having. Maybe it takes you by surprise that Abraham ended up with three wives. Uh, by the time it was all said and done, not just his wife, Sarah, but his wife, Sarah, was the object of the story all along. Um, and one of the wives that Abraham took was at the advice of uh, Sarah. She probably wouldn't have put it that way. She just wanted Abraham to have sex with um, Hagar so that they would have a child. Uh, Sarah thinking that that's what God must have meant. And we've been through that. And, and that turned out to be kind of a hilarious um um, bit of the story between God and Sarah. The, God reminded Sarah, no, no, I'm going to have you have a real baby in your real, really old age. So the generations of Ishmael um, are, are at the end of, of uh, Abraham's death passage. And the, um, the, the, the generations or the, the people that um, were born to his third wife, Keturah, um, well, that is what comes up above. I think the biggest point is that the kids are okay, that God, you know, throughout Abraham's story made it very clear he was going to bless Ishmael, that he had nothing against Ishmael. He was not the chosen seed. He was not the son that God was talking about. But nonetheless, he was blessed by God. Um, God made good on his promise of blessing Ishmael, and that's part of the point um, here in Abraham's death is that Ishmael and his descendants were blessed. He had plenty of other children. They went on to form the countryside that the original audience is now very familiar with. Uh, in fact, the uh, uh, third wife, Keturah of Abraham, also had children that also filled the landscape of the land and now, you know, are the the names of tribes and people groups that have expanded, um, in particular, the Midianites. Moses is going to marry a Midianite. Um, and so to the original audience, um, they would have heard the backstory because remember, Abraham's life is in about 1600 BC, maybe eight, or 1800 BC and 1800 BC, maybe 2000 BC. And then, you know, Moses's audience, uh, the people that Moses is speaking to, that is the real um, audience for the very first time of all of this material. And they are 400 years later in, in around 14 to 1500 BC. And they would have heard these names and recognized that these are the tribes and the people groups that are all around them. And this kind of provides to them a bit of a backdrop, you know, just so that, you know, they understand that this is a real historical, you know, kind of story. So the chiasm um, is all about Abraham's other descendants, but it really hones in on the fact in the middle that Abraham is now dead um, and that there is a very specific special story that's going to emerge. And that is the story of Isaac. Isaac is the beat that's going to go on. Isaac will then, you know, give birth to the next part of the story. Isaac's going to have two kids. We'll cover that later. Uh, but only one of those kids is going to be the focal point of the story that God is putting together. And only God could do something like this. Put a story together with successive generations of people who are very ordinary people and at times don't even seem to be compliant with what God is doing. Um, they seem to be even unaware of what God is doing at times, but God is making it very clear that Isaac is the special specific story 
the chosen part of the story, the predestined part of the story that he's going to keep putting together. So we have to keep our eye on that ball. And the passage is really doing that, keeping our eye on the Isaac ball. So we're going to take our eye off of Abraham and put it on to Isaac. But Abraham has died. And so it is uh, the right thing to do to just, you know, kind of... Uh, Think and reflect, you know, kind of like that fine wine, you know, think about all the flavors and, and all of the things that went into the life and the story of Abraham. And I think there is two very, very clear points um, from Abraham's life and his story that we must catch a hold of today that are very helpful to us today. The first point in Abraham's story at his funeral, as we reflect on the life well lived, and I love how the text says that Abraham died a man in full. I do believe that God's object for all of us is for us to be able to die in full, to live a life and to look back on life and to feel like we lived a life in full. And from God's perspective, we do not have to be superheroes to live a life in full. Abraham was not a superhero, and he felt like he lived a life in full. But if you look at the details of his life, he really didn't accomplish, you know, fortune and fame and, you know, some sort of heroic efforts that everybody would have recognized. Abraham was just a guy. He was a really good guy. And even at times he had his, you know, really good moments that people took note of. But they would have forgot about those moments pretty quickly because they weren't long lasting moments. He didn't build a city um, and he did not see how his progeny you would would come about he didn't see how god's plan would come about and so that leaves us with the very important part of abraham's story is that god himself has no no need god needs zero pomp and splendor to put a good story together and the reason why that's important for us is because we have to catch what god's point is and that is, as ordinary, average people, which all of us are, we are beautiful. You are beautiful. You know, think of the songs, you know. Um, you are so beautiful. I think of Joe Cocker. You are so beautiful to me. And as part of God's point here is that if Abraham is very special to God and he's very ordinary and average and he doesn't get everything right, then how much more so should you be thinking of God that way too? You see, the whole point of God putting together a, a storyline that does not involve pomp and splendor and superheroic actions is so that we would connect with the story, that we would actually feel the beat of the story that is going on because our lives are, are, you know, for the most part, very average and ordinary. And it makes a difference whenever we think of God as a very friend-oriented relationship. That's what God wants, you know, with Abraham. And that's what God wants out of us. He does not expect us to get through this life um, without mistake. He compensates for that. He understands that. But he does want us to get how Abraham lived his life, a life of friendship and trust and faith and devotion to God. And that's very doable for us as well. 
You're so beautiful, God says, as an average ordinary person. And God's stories are always built upon very average ordinary people who make plenty of mistakes so that we get the message loud and clear that God's into that kind of thing. In fact, when we meet God in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, what do we find out? God has made everything out of nothing even, that he's the creator of everything. Yeah, that's right. And so God is, is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 1 as the God who makes something out of nothing. Now, I find it very comical that allegedly, allegedly our fun suckers that, that are constantly hounding us in this culture that we live in, um, the fun suckers allegedly think that it's unthinkable that God can make everything from nothing. But they allegedly think that it's very plausible that nothing could turn itself into everything. Well, I don't buy it. I don't buy the fact that, well, nothing can just turn itself into everything around us. What I do get very strongly here is that God can actually make everything that is around me out of nothing. I may not be able to prove it, but it sits well with me. It sits well with me and I find it to be very thinkable, even though the fun suckers think it's unthinkable. But when God pulls Abraham into a storyline, Abraham and Sarah into a storyline as very, very average, ordinary people with no pomp or splendor um, in them. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing you know, super good about them, super cool about them. They're just people and God makes them into something. And by the time Abraham breathed his last, he looks back and he feels like a man in full. And Sarah died her last feeling like a woman in full. And God wants all of us to die with confidence, knowing that we are in full and that we have so much looking ahead. Abraham, even though he died, he died a man in full because he knew that his eyes were looking ahead and they were looking ahead on what he couldn't even figure out how it was all going to come together. You know, this is an old man back in the midst of time, an old man staring at the stars and God makes a promise that your descendants and your impact in this world is going to be far greater than the number of stars and the sand on the seashore that you can count. How had to be Abraham's, you know, question. How? He probably couldn't imagine or guess that through him all the world would be blessed. And God's point is, yes, I'm going to bring my blessing to the world through you, Abraham, so that everybody can see how doable my blessing is whenever people put their trust and faith in me like you did, Abraham, because you're nothing special and, and nobody is, is something special. We're average, ordinary people. And that is a glorious thought. That is an absolutely glorious thought. But then the other part of the story about how Abraham died as a man of full, looking towards the future, looking towards what God was going to do. And, and no, he couldn't imagine or guess how it was going to be that God would start a whole nation from his descendants, that that nation would collapse and fall and it would look like a, a, a well, a failure 
But in that, that God would keep his story going through the descendants of Abraham, the little nation of Israel that could, would actually deliver up God's final climactical part of the story, who is Jesus Christ. And that is the right way to read the Bible. The Bible starts in the very beginning with a story that God is putting together, and it winds its way through the history and through the time and through the literature of the time in such a beautiful way that it climactically reaches its end in the person of Jesus Christ. An absolute piece of genius nobody could have imagined or guessed nobody did imagine or guess that there would be a story like jesus christ that would come out and then shape the world that we live in and i mean that the world that we live in is shaped by christianity i know it's not popular to say that but our whole even what i have on my shirt e pluribus unum this is an idea that just springs out of the bible all of our founding documents in this country are just ideas that spring out of the Bible. The world has been changed by Christian culture. Oh, just like Abraham, Christian culture has done a lot of, you know, made a lot of bad moves. But the Bible hasn't. And the Bible gives us a picture that we can grab a hold of and feel good with and keep changing the world like the world's already been changed by the Bible, by Christianity, by Jesus Christ, that kind of thing. So when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is the end game that Abraham was looking out into the stars and trying to figure out how's God going to do this? He's going to start a nation through my descendants, the people of Israel. But then ultimately, in the black of night, God is going to arrive in human birth. Wake now, you sleepers. Rise. Your hope is now on earth. Turn to those of you who have ears to hear and hear the time for God's kingdom is near. That's the way Jesus talks when he comes onto the scene. The kingdom of God is near. Why? Because God has arrived in human birth. Yes, Jesus is God. He is the truth, the love, the power, and Jesus himself came in the same kind of package that Abraham was in. A nobody. A nobody that anybody was, was nobody was looking forward you know, to, to this little baby Jesus. Everybody was surprised at this Jesus and what he would say and what he would do. Nobody thought for a second, you know, that he was actually, God arrived in human birth. He lived a life that was beyond compare. And now we go to the nations with Jesus Christ giving us that command to make disciples everywhere, to tell of the risen Lord Christ whose death paves the pathway to life, baby. One world, one dream. Creation has been groaning and longing for, well, redemption. And that's what God started off saying, and that's what God finishes off saying in the Bible. Never loses the beat. The beat's going forward. That there is one hope, one passion to see the kingdom of God growing. Speed on that day when we'll see all things placed under Jesus' feet. That is still the story, the beat that's going forward. And, and this is what Abraham had no way of figuring out. And nobody, no person, no human being, nobody in Israel 
really could figure out how it was going to go forward. So Abe might be dead. Abe might be dead, but the beat is going on. It's going to go on through Isaac and then through Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons and then them as a nation when they come out of Egypt. And then that nation for all of his successes is going to have failures riddled all over it, much like Abraham's life. And then we're going to come to Jesus who lived a life beyond compare and he's going to die and he's going to rise again and he's going to bring the whole storyline together. And it's very important for us to catch a hold of too that Jesus always talked about Abraham. Abraham was the subject of Jesus' conversation, especially when it came to the audiences that were so mad at Jesus. And the audiences that are mad with Jesus are the religious groups in Israel because they think of themselves as the, uh, well, the know-it-alls. And, and Jesus turns their head around all the time. And he keeps talking about Abraham. And as he talks about Abraham, it drives them nuts. Let me give you a, sec a, a, a section out of John chapter 8, verse 39. They, the fun suckers at that time, they answered Jesus. And they said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This isn't what Abraham did. That's hilarious. But what Jesus is pointing out to the fun suckers, the fun suckers are saying, hey, we're the children of Abraham. We're the legitimate heirs of Abraham. We are blood tied to Abraham, Jesus. And, and, uh, and, and you're making us feel like we're not that special. And Jesus' point to them is that's because you're not acting like Abraham. You're not acting out of faith. In fact, you want to kill me, Jesus says. You want to kill me. This isn't the kind of thing that Abraham would have been doing. Abraham, wouldn't, Abraham would have recognized who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is implying. But the fun suckers... They're not recognizing who Jesus is. And, and Jesus' point that we need to grab a hold of is that being blood tied to Abraham, not important. What's important is to act like Abraham, to have a friendship with God, to have a relationship with God, to actually take God seriously like Abraham took God seriously and died a man in full. Jesus says, anybody can be like Abraham. And God wants everybody to be like Abraham. And even if you are Abraham's children, if you don't act like Abraham, then you aren't Abraham's children. To be Abraham's children means to act like him, not to be a blood relative of him. There's another time, uh, John chapter 8, verse 52, the Jews said to Jesus, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. So did the prophets. And yet you say that if anybody keeps your word, he will not taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Which is totally hilarious because in Jesus' story, he knows he's going to die and he's going to rise again. But you see, the fun suckers are always trying to, well, do a gotcha with Jesus. And that's what the fun suckers do today. We, we try to do gotchas with God left and right instead of absorbing the point. 
and absorb the point that we are humans and we are so in need of what God has to offer. We need God. We are on a planet that is spinning at 1,100 mile an hour and it's traveling around the sun at 236 miles, thousand miles per hour. Good Lord, we need God because we're doomed otherwise. Uh, you know, I'm not here to, to discount scientists, but scientists, you know, are fun suckers at times whenever they try to kill the buzz that God is bringing to us. Forget that. I'll take all the science and use it for my life. That's great, but but I'm not going to rely on science. I'm not going to put my faith in science to get me off the planet or to, well, to get me with God. I'm going to go for God like Abraham went for God. Got another good story. Jesus, in response to that, said, Well, your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ooh, that really got uh, the crowd mad at Jesus because Jesus, when he said, Before Abraham was, I am, that's Jesus' way of saying, I'm God. I am. I am. Because that's the name that God had given to Moses at the burning bush, I am. When Moses said, What's your name? God said, I am. When Jesus says, I am, I am, it means that he is God. But, but Jesus also implies that Abraham, even though he died a long time ago, he's not quite dead, is he? Because Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, Jesus' day, and he saw it and he was glad. Kind of gives us that perspective that uh, Abraham was able to look from the heavenly realm and see how God was bringing the plan together in Jesus Christ, and he was very pleased with it. Once again, Jesus' point is the same, and that is, you better start acting like Abraham. If you want to get the most out of this life, if you want to ring the chamois of life to, the, to its fullest, be like Abraham. Trust God like Abraham. Trust Jesus like Abraham trusts in Jesus. Even though Abraham had no clue who Jesus Christ would be like we do, Abraham saw it and he was pleased. Well, I, I'm going with Jesus. That's what I'm going with. Anyhow, um, I also love Luke chapter 3, verse 8, and all, all the Gospels record this. Jesus says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, that's what, that's what Abraham did. He bore fruit. He led a fruitful life. He was a good guy. He did his best. He blundered at times, but he kept coming back to repentance and saying, okay, I was wrong about that. It's time to move forward. I'm getting back to faith and I'm going to bear more fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. But Jesus says, don't begin to say to yourselves that I'm, I'm a child of Abraham. Because God can turn these stones, and Jesus must have been holding up some stones, to raise up children of Abraham. You see, God is the God who can turn nothing into everything. And so God could make children of Abraham out of stones. But that's not what God is doing. What God is doing is revealing his story and connecting us with the story um, so that we might see that we can be connected with God's story in the fullest and most powerful way that Abraham was connected with the story through faith. 
through trust, through loving God, looking at Jesus Christ and seeing how the plan that started with Abraham came together in God's, you know, climactic visit, his climactic arrival in human birth. Oh, back in the midst of time, Abraham, that old man staring at the stars, received a promise from God. Could he imagine or guess? No. That all the world would be blessed with what God was doing in little old Abraham so long ago? No. And in the black of night, God arrived in human birth. The same kind of, of God that we find with Abraham, the God who needs no pomp and splendor, comes in the middle of the night in a poor family's home, in a manger, in a food trough, uh, uh, visited by the, the sheep herders who were dirty and nobody liked the sheep herders. Our hope has come to earth. If you have ears to hear, like Jesus says, hear, because the kingdom of God is near in Jesus Christ. Whenever we think of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is right there with him. The truth, the love, the power, his life was beyond compare. We now go to the nations and make disciples everywhere. Tell of the risen Lord Christ whose death paves the pathway to life. Yeah, baby, that's what Abraham was, was looking forward to. He had no clue how it was going to work out. But when he got to see it work out from the heavenly realm, he said, I'm all in on that. That's a great plan. And that's the way that we should talk about God as well. One world, one dream. Creation is just groaning with longing for this one hope, one passion to see God's kingdom growing in us in Abraham, in us, to speed on the day when we'll see all things placed under Jesus' feet when he comes back. Well, that's the story, Dory, and that's Abraham's life. We're going to shift gears and move away from Abraham, but God is always calling himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's why we're looking at this story and we're remembering that Jesus thought we should all get in touch with Abraham and live our lives the way Abraham and Sarah lived their lives. And, and we too can ring the chamois of life and die as people in full. People in full. That's what God wants for all of us. We'll catch you next time.